0: David,
1: thank you for taking the time to come here. Lance, it's nice to finally meet you. It is. You've been here, you said for 40, you came here 40 years ago. 1982, yeah,
0: 41 years ago. That's right. I was a student um, in Osaka mm-hmm. at Kansai Gaidai, right. studying uh, Asian history and, uh, and Japanese language.
1: Okay. Now, I don't have to ask you where you were born. I'm pretty sure it was Colorado. Born in Denver. All right. Born and raised in Denver, <laughs> which was a nice, a nice place to grow up. Right. Uh, it's a
0: big city now. It's three yeah. and a half million people. A very okay. desirable place to and live. And
1: you're a twin? I'm a twin. Um, are you the oldest? Or are you the I'm, I beat him by four minutes. By four minutes? I had um, that feeling. I figured you'd be Daniel. I'm, so
0: I'm the, I'm the chonon here. <laughs> okay. First one out or last one out depends on the culture. <laughs> right. uh, he lives in uh, Abu Dhabi right now, and he works for uh, a Chinese investment entity.
1: And you guys still look... I don't know. I, I saw pictures of you when you were younger, and I think you went through a phase of long hair yeah, it was and everything. A both of you, but we, but yeah, b- both of hair. you, did both of you keep the hair the same way? No, we, we were always tried? a bit different. You know, it's interesting growing up
0: as a twin, right? Because there's a point at which you you reach the level of sameness that's overbearing. So our parents at junior because high you're, school. Because you're identical. You've got, it's not only that, you've got the same friends, you're doing the same hobbies, you're doing, so you're growing up doing the same thing, and there's a point at which you're going to want to separate your identities. And our parents knew that, and we went to separate high schools for that reason, How in old? Denver.
1: So that's what, so you went through elementary together. And junior high. And junior high. That's and then right. high school, your parents said, we think we better yeah, give them it's their it's own a identity. It was a good
0: opportunity to, to do some separation. It was a good idea. Yeah.
1: And did it work? It worked yeah, for
0: we're still really close best friends. We talk every day. Okay. It's interesting going through life as a twin.
1: Um, how much, how much difference, how many years difference between you, your brother, not, uh, not your brother, but between Douglas Young siblings, Younger right? brother, yeah, you've got yeah. you did your homework. Yeah. Uh, a year and a half, so it was a rough
0: time for my Just mom. Just a year and a half?
1: Yeah. yeah. So your dad didn't let her sleep much, did he? No, I don't think <laughs> so.
0: And she was a wonderful <laughs> right. woman. You know, she passed right. away 15 years ago right. of a terrible disease, um, ALS. Oh. And um, so, so I spent a lot of time with her toward the end, saying goodbye. It's really tough to say goodbye to someone who's like your your mother, your sister, your best friend. It was very difficult. How old were you when she passed? Well, let's see. So I'm almost sixty two now. Okay. Um so she it was I was forty seven. It's been fifteen years. Yeah.
1: Mm. yeah. So you're up there in age, yeah. Yeah. <sighs> were you were all your brothers there? Both of them were both. My of them twin was ta- there. Your yeah. twin was there. What yeah. about Douglas?
0: Douglas was there to say goodbye a little earlier. Okay. Yeah. But mm-hmm. she, she was a very interesting woman. Um, she was uh, a Holocaust survivor,
1: mm-hmm.
0: and so her parents were sent to camps uh, from Germany uh, through France, and th- the, the, my grandmother apparently was separated from my grandfather, and he survived and she didn't. She was killed in a camp, I- in a gas chamber. Okay. Um, And it's a very interesting evolution of how this whole story went about. I don't know if I can take a minute to tell it. No, please do. It's probably an unusual story from Mm. your your series that you've done. Um, She was possessed by surviving the Holocaust, and her life and her studies, including her Ph.D., was on um, the evolution of man and intellectual history and how she studied about how, uh, the rise of suicide in France um, was linked to the governments and linked to the way in which society functioned. It was a very complicated topic. Mm-hmm. So toward the end of her life, um, we we started doing research on the woman that, that rescued her in France and kept her in hiding for four years. Is your mother French? No, she's German. She was German. She
1: was German. Okay, that's I'm what I, mean. German. So I don't know. Okay, I half. get you. Okay, yeah, yeah. that's how you go yeah. side or whatever. Yeah. <laughs>
0: And so, so just a long story short, um, we found the woman. Uh, We, I wrote to Yad Vashem in, in in Jerusalem, the museum of the Holocaust, and got them to put her name on the wall of the righteous. And the interesting story, that's not even the interesting story. The interesting story was seven years later, a researcher in France, tracked her down and tracked me down and ended up writing a, a part of a book on my mother and her brother's story. So it's it's an evolution that comes full circle. You know, life comes full circle sometimes with unexpected things. And that just happened last year. We got this book published.
1: Is is her brother still
0: alive? Yeah, he died last year. Was he younger or older? He was older. And he spent his life in the Rocky Mountain region uh, in his spare time talking to students around
1: the region, teaching them about the Holocaust. But he was there too, of course. He was 10 miles away
0: from in a different village in France with a different family.
1: So he never had to go through what she went through? He did, but he didn't. But,
0: but uh, they handled it differently.
1: I imagine so. She
0: wanted nothing to, to do with it, and he embraced it and wanted to teach people about it.
1: Okay. So anyway, we don't have to spend time on it, but uh, That's interesting. it's an interesting story. Interesting. Yeah. So you grew up in Colorado as a little kid. Tell me, having a twin too, were you more academic or were you more sports-minded? No, no sports, none of us. No, none of the football things. No, we were more <laughs>
0: academic. <Yeah. laughs>
1: We didn't do the sports. where did that stuff. come from? <laughs> no, I don't identify
0: with you know soccer and football and all that. <laughs> well,
1: so as a little kid, you guys you played and did things, right? You didn't play.
0: Yeah, we, you? we did. But um, would you do?
1: your mother gave you books right away? Your dad It said here. We
0: got both. You know, my father is more of the humanist side of, of humanity, and my mother was more on the academic. Now, did so we they a little bit of both? Did right? they stay
1: together the whole time? They divorced
0: it when we were six. Okay. Um so you know it was a really interesting childhood it wasn't the American story she never married people. again she did but she that did. ended in divorce and she ended her quest for marriage at that point
1: how old were well, you with that happened how old were you when that happened uh, we were like teenagers yeah. okay so you do remember him for a while he was there for a little while yeah, yeah yeah Okay.
0: Yeah, it was a, you know both of my parents came from disadvantaged backgrounds not only financially but but in terms of family structure so we didn't have the kind of parents that had the kind of parents that taught them how to lead. I understand. And so, you know, it's been interesting to look back as I'm older now on what. Is important in terms of celebrating parts of American society, like for people who are believing Christmas, Christmas or Thanksgiving. Those things are not important to me. Uh, And that's part of why coming to Japan and adapting to this culture has been easy for me. Uh, I've embraced it. I fell in love with Japan
1: first time I came here in 1982, I felt really at home here. Well, let's talk about how you grew up. Since it wasn't traditional, you didn't get involved in sports. Right. You were very, were you very academically inclined? More so, yeah. Okay. Yeah. So you're really praised for reading and for studying and doing yeah, things like it was just that? self-discovery. You know, a
0: lot of parents, you're a father of, of kids. You've got yes. four kids, I believe, mm-hmm. And and I think a lot of parents give their kids guidance as they're growing up and, you know, you should think about being a doctor. Or you should think about being a lawyer or mm-hmm. do what you want. But, you know, if you do this, this might happen. My parents didn't do that. They didn't they do that. They gave us total freedom. What did your father do? So my father is, is still alive. He's 86. He's in great health in Denver. Okay. Um, he ended up, he be ended up getting master's in social work. And he ended up working um, at the Jewish Community Center in Denver for 17 years. And then he went out on his own to make some money. Okay. And he did therapy and counseling. And he started studying a theory called transactional analysis. I'm okay, you're okay. I'm, yeah, I'm familiar with it. And also yes. neuro-linguistic programming. Yes. Where you're using NLP. Yes. movements and NLP and, yes. NLP and reading other people's yes. gestures and yes. developing rapport with them. And he became one of the world's top specialists in the corporate side. And so he would go inside corporations and help people deal with you know anger management or problem solving for right. people issues right. and uh, he worked until he was 84 two years ago he was still doing it around the world mm. traveled around the world doing mm. it and actually that's he gave us the chance to start seeing the world when we were 17 when he took us on a trip to New Zealand and Tahiti okay and it got in our blood and of course the thing about as a parent if you introduce your kids to travel you know you're you're risking that they may catch the travel bug and live overseas and that's what happened of to course. us you know, with most of my adult life has not been in the United States. We'll wow. see them once or twice a year.
1: Okay. Yeah. But Douglas, he stayed in the States. He stayed in the States. He's the in States. Denver. Yeah. He's doing all right. The Daniel's in Abu Dhabi. Abu Dhabi, but
0: he's <laughs> lived in Singapore. He's lived in Manila. Uh, he's lived in Africa. He's lived in China. Mm. Um, yeah it all led to the opportunity to come to Japan Mm -hmm. which was in 1982 through an exchange program that my father made available to us financially right I couldn't have done it on my own I didn't tell me did you have
1: interest in Japan prior to that no
0: no I was a professor at there was a professor at Fort Lewis College in Durango Colorado where I was going to school little mountain school Mm -hmm. and he was a Japan specialist University of Michigan and I really liked him I really looked up to him and he goes well you should go on the exchange program that we have at the college I said okay That started it. It didn't didn't matter. No. But there was a guy there (laughs) that I met, Mike Huffman, who also went to Fort Lewis from Denver. He ended up going to to Kansagairai a year before me, and he ended up studying primatology and studying monkeys. And the monkeys of Arashiyama, he used to go and live with them and study them. Now he teaches at Kyoto University. He's one of the top primatologists in the world, and he did his PhD thesis in Japanese.
1: Are you close with him? Do you know? Uh, him?
0: Not I- not anymore. Okay. But fascinating, right? You meet people, right. And you don't know the paths they're going to go on, and you couldn't guess. Right. Primatology, studying monkeys, living with monkeys in the mountains of Arashiyama. Okay,
1: go for it, man. And that's what he's done. That's what, that's he's, done. what he's done. Yeah. So you came over, and when you studied, what were you studying? What were you interested in? <laughs> so. It was um,
0: cross-culturally I started developing an interest in Japan. Because if you, if you look at the United States culture and, um, and Japanese culture, they're, they're extremely different, right? There's very little overlap in a lot of areas, right? And when you start studying about cross-cultural aspects of Japan and directness and indirectness or formality and informality, you start going deep below the surface of the iceberg okay. and going deep into values, attitudes, and beliefs and start learning why things are the way they are. Well, why are Japanese indirect? Well, it has to do with history. What about history? Growing rice, it's a rice culture. How do you grow rice? You grow it in groups. How do you grow it in groups? You have harmony. If you don't have harmony and disharmony, nobody eats. So harmony is a core value for Japanese, right? So is avoiding conflict. So is the evolution of of, um, groupism and how groupism manifests itself, like we can see it with COVID why are Japanese still wearing masks when the government is telling them not to outside, right? They so so didn't say not
1: to, they so said you don't have to. Well,
0: but they're still doing it because of the groupthink. Right. right, right. So the groupthink has plus and minus, just like individualism does. But I think we'd agree, uh, we've been gone from America for a long time, but individualism has gone amuck in America, if you ask me. It's, it's, it's doing what I want to do all the time without enough focus on what
1: other people we're going to talk after. Anymore. We're going to talk off camera about how I feel about what's happening there. Okay. Because I could take up the whole time well, we could do talking yeah. about that. Yeah. You're so correct about that. When you came over here, what did you decide to focus on? You came in 82, but did you? St- how long did you stay when you came that time? So I
0: stayed for a semester, and then I went to school in Paris for a year. Uh, that was what? prearranged.
1: Okay, that uh, was prearranged. So would your father set that up that way? So it's interesting, again, back to my okay. dad. My
0: dad was doing consulting for a company in Greenwich, Connecticut that sent overseas program people on overseas programs to study and tours and in lieu of his payment he arranged for my brother and I to go to school uh, Daniel went to school in London and I went to school in Paris at the same time so he went to Richmond College I went to the Sorbonne and the American College and so that was that was another thing my father gave us you know okay. which is this opportunity to do something
1: unique he didn't have other kids he only had the Just three, the of, three of us yeah yeah so so
0: that started so but France didn't do much for me I studied French and I learned French and I studied a little bit about French culture, but it was a Western culture. I was drawn back to Japan. So after I finished undergraduate school, I went to school at the Middlebury Institute of uh, International Studies in Monterey, California. And that's where I focused on Japanese policy studies because okay. I also love political science. But you know, then you graduate. And you go, again, got to make a living. Either you go for a PhD and become a researcher, right, or a scholar of some sort, or you do something different. And I ended up doing an internship with Fuji Xerox in uh, 1987 in the summer between year one and year two of graduate school. Mm -hmm. And I went into the training world, which was where my father had come from, and I started getting hooked on it. And so I'm going fast. What
1: type of training? But what type of training?
0: Cultural training which was the initial link of what I liked to do in, the, in 1982. Now, how did that link with Fuji Xerox? Because they yeah. had a program f- to teach Japanese to be global, whatever it, that means. I, you right, right, right. And, and you prepare <laughs> them for overseas assignments. And
1: it wasn't just teaching English?
0: No, 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 it wasn't English at all. They had to, using to English to teach the idea of I cultural understand. adaptation. Right. I've never been an English teacher. Well, I have a story about that. Okay. But I'll, t- I'll go there. All right, right, So So I spent four years there. Then I went uh, back to the United States for a few years. Then I didn't want to be in the States anymore. I came back in 1993 and worked for a British training company called Canning, which is still in operation here. And I stayed with them three and a half, almost four years. And we were doing about, um, let's see, how many? 200 trainings a year. And so I was getting great platform skills. And then I wasn't growing anymore, and I went out on my own. Going out on my own, as you probably know, because you've done it yourself, is in the first year you starve, right? And and I realized I needed to get a formula that would allow me to pay my rent and also start having enough time to grow the way I wanted to grow. So my strategy and, and what I did for over 20 years was to get one client that would take me 10 days a month to do whatever it is that they wanted me to do and free up 10 to 20 days a month to, to do what I wanted to do in the way I wanted to do it. So I was paying my rent, paying my bills, and having the free time to grow in other ways. Mm. And so one of the things I did with my free time was I started writing articles for Japanese newspapers, the Mainichi Daily News, the Daily Omiyuri. I had my own column for two years in each. Then I took those columns and made a book of each.
1: Are you doing this in Japanese or English? English. Okay.
0: I didn't master (coughs) Japanese that well. And then I took those books and I went to NHK and I, I called up NHK one day. This is in 1997, 98. You know, when you when you make a TV show in Japan, you're supposed to go through an agent, and the agent has the connections, is supposed to do the shokai introduce you, right? I said, oh, what ridiculous nonsense. Unless I you're a geiji, Yeah, <laughs> and you don't have to play by the rules. <laughs> And I love breaking the rules here, as long as it's legal. <laughs> that's right. That's right? right, Cultura- right. Culturally understanding anybody, what right. the norm is, but right, right, I know right, what right. the opportunities are. Right? <laughs> Japanese would never do it. That's right. The nail that sticks that's up right. gets hammered exactly. down. Exactly, right? but you're not Japanese. <laughs> that's right, but we're not Japanese. <laughs> that's right. So one day I called up NHK, and I got some um, woman on the phone, and I said, well, I've got this idea for a TV show. Who would I talk to? Hi, Hi. And she transferred me to this producer. I show. you know, what do you want? And I said, well, here's our idea, I've got this book, I've got this idea for a TV show, can I come talk to you? He goes, sure. We had four months of discussions, they gave me my own TV show, I was the host. It was number one for two years. And I became famous. Here in Japan? Here in Japan on NHK. Well, what? I must've It was I'm called Juku. Okay, okay. <laughs> but it was NHK educational, you probably didn't watch it. No, <laughs> I probably didn't watch it. Because it was English-related based, okay. but it was skill oriented. That is so neat. So I, the thing about this, the thing that's interesting about this is, the way in which NHK makes TV shows for educational, at least when at the time when I was there, right. is they've got people who write the script and then they find the people to be the hosts and the co-hosts, and right. then they find the people to do the, s- the, the scenes with them, the scenarios with them, and then they put it together. I said, this is not the way I train. The way I train is, throw you in the hot seat and see what you do, right?
1: right? <laughs> that makes for better So TV I said, for
0: example, okay, you're Japanese, um, you're with your wife, you arrive in New York at midnight, you have a reservation for the hotel, but you arrive late because your plane was late. You get to the hotel, and the, the clerk says, "I'm sorry, we gave your reservation away." What do you do? Japanese wouldn't know what to do. So I, I mm. created these TV shows based on these kinds of scenarios. And what we I'm did was too, yeah. we 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 put an ad out for an audience. We had 700 people apply, and I said to them, "Look, they're standing in line. I'm going to go through 700 of them, and we're going to spend 30 seconds apiece." And I'm going to look at their skill set and how they come across as a communicator and how they look, because it's all a package.
1: Yes, of course.
0: And um, we took 30 to 40 people for the TV audience out of that 700. And I was the one who chose them in conjunction with the producer. They were like, OK. The producers didn't really understand what I was doing. Right. Of they course just they trusted me. OK. Right. And until we made that first TV show, they didn't know what I was doing. So what right. I did was I made the scenarios first, without a script, without any of the rest of the show. Let's tape five set scenarios with different people coming to New York
1: at the hotel. I've seen it, I've seen it. Go on, go on, go yeah. on.
0: Yeah, so so we'll take two of those five, the two best ones, and we'll make the show around it. So I totally upside down, reversed engineered the way in which they made the TV shows. and it. it it blossomed. It and you know what happens when you're on NHK? Because I went from nothing to this like you, famous person, and stopped on the street and asked for my signature. And my wife loves your show and all that stuff. Is um, the publishers come. And in one year alone, I published five books. And you know, ALC, um, PHP, DHC. Who would uh, these stand, stand uh, Nova. T- these are all publishers in Japan. Okay, okay, okay. Right? Mm-hmm. Um, and, I, and I had publisher after publisher, I had nine publishers publishing my books, wanting to interview me and do, do pub- and by the way, I brought what? you one of them. Wow. Uh, this okay. is one that I did on leadership, I interviewed, um, s- I think it was nine leaders, like the leader of Intel, the leader of Pfizer, the presidents at the time. This is like 20 years old. Is that
1: right? can see this. Yeah, put that up, yeah. 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 So this wow. is for you. Wow, thank you so I much. You a gift. Is it, let me see, is it in English, it's in Japanese? One <laughs> Yeah, oh, it's no, no, English in English and Japanese, and English in so Japanese. a lot of the books that wow. we made
0: were bilingual, right? Yeah.
1: Well, what type of book is it, what is it? So is it's, a,
0: it's a book on where I, I'm, this I'm is the, the interviewer okay. on interviewing them on, on what have they learned in mm-hmm. about Japan in terms of leading people, and it's right. really a book about leadership uh, and how to, how to motivate Japanese in, in a geishke in, in a foreign corporation. Uh, to be the best that they can. Wow. So I, I, I really tried to do some, some unusual, I think, sort of innovative things with some of the publishers. I'm now this is, again, 20 years ago, and it's right. really hard to get books published now because everything's right, right, everything's right? And everything's digitized. Right. So I was at a time, you know, when I made these TV shows, the internet was in its infancy. We were still making, when we were recording for, the, for, for publication, we would make cassette tapes, this is 20, 25 years ago. We were still using cassette tapes; they weren't even on right, 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 DVDs. That's right.
1: That's right. That's and right. now
0: it's all streaming. That's right. And so the industry's completely changed. So, yeah. So what are you doing now? So, I, I went out. Um, I ended my time with NHK after two years, which is another story. I'll tell it. Okay. It's an interesting all story because right. again, we're going to have to have you back on for I, that. D- <laughs> I did. I did something not <laughs> Japanese. Um, after two years of having a number one TV show and being the host. They said on the third year they wanted to do a new show, and they wanted me to be a co-host. And I said, well, who's the co-host? Oh, it's a Japanese guy. And I said, well, has he done TV shows? He goes, no, but he's done radio. And they said, wanted you to have a co-host. Yeah, they wanted, and well, it gets interesting, right? Okay. Because who's, who's the senpai, who's the co-hai? Who's the, who's the top guy, and who's the number two? So I said, well, OK, so let me get this straight. You know, he's never done a TV show. I've done two. I've been the host of two. And well, who's the real host? Well, you're both hosts. Now, come on, who's the real host? Well, he would be because he's older than you and he, he's a college professor. I said, I'm not doing the show. Oh, please, Wagner-san, don't. No. Wh- you want me to go from, sh- from being president to vice president? <laughs> of not, my show. I'm not going to do of it. Of my show. I walked away from NHK. <laughs> it, I committed NHK seppuku, you know, honorable suicide, and there was the end of it. I said, it just doesn't work for me. I did I didn't do the Japanese thing. You know sure. Damansuru.
1: Right, you right, know, right.
0: Grin and Barrett. Uh, I said But then no. again
1: but then again there's probably a reason why. It's because you're not Japanese.
0: <laughs> well but I under- <laughs> the difference is I understand how I'm supposed to do things.
1: But still you're not Japanese. You can't. That's not in you. That's right. You just cannot do it. And and honestly, it's not just about being Japanese. Yeah. You haven't been conditioned by this culture. No. In that way. Because even there's Japanese that wouldn't do it. That's right. In the same situation, there's Japanese would say, "No way." There's some. There's That's some. right, right. But we, you, and I have
0: something called the Gaijin Menkyo,
1: exactly. a foreigner license, most definitely, and we
0: use it and use it to our advantage, most definitely. When we do, when we want to be Japanese, we can be Japanese. Right. You know, most when you definitely. get stopped by the policeman asking you for your ID, so, you got you know. a choice to make. Right. And I, I've been stopped twice, actually. You know, like, what are you stopping me for? Do I look like a drug dealer? Um, Then I'm like, okay, look, you're doing your job, and I'm fine, you know. I start talking about good restaurants in the area, to right. right, you know, a good place to get a hamburger? So, but there are a lot of foreigners here that rebel against that. I said,
1: that's not smart. To their demise, right? It's not good. It's just not smart They're just doing their job, just play along. And it's their country. What are you talking about? You're in their living room. That's right. Don't come in here with your ideas about how you want to change it the way you want it to be. That's right. Go
0: home. So, so now we're talking about the influence of non-Japanese in Japan, and it's at an all-time high. Well, it was about 3% of the population, right? right Something like right. that. Uh, some, and, 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 and so Japan's changing, uh, and well, it's always going to change.
1: Well, they say they've always been saying that. They will, but not in the way that a lot of people like to think. Well, that's right.
0: But the the changes are coming from the outside, not the inside. And COVID has exacerbated the desire (laughs) not to have outside influence. But still,
1: Japan still has the strongest immigration laws in the world. That's right. No one's getting in. But who
0: can blame them? At, if you take the example of the West and what a mess the West has turned out to be. I mean, there's still good things about the West, right? Sure. Philanthropy, lots of good people,
1: smart, there's no intelligent doubt about innovation. It. No doubt about it.
0: But at the same time, you know,
1: we don't have well look at that 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 murder
0: of Bill Bishop.
1: Well uh, see, that's something that I didn't even want to go into. That's so rare. That's such a rarity here. Yeah. But in the States it'd be just oh, just another day. <laughs> and matter of fact, it wouldn't have made the headlines. That's right. It just couldn't. That's Even right. that that violent murder. That's right. But that was such a shock. That's right. To have that happen in the way the Japanese portrayed it. Because they don't emphasize that. It doesn't matter if it's a foreigner or not. Right. They don't go into details. They said he was bludgeoned. That's right. Death. We know what really happened. Well, we, we, know, don't. we don't. know. Actually, no, I've we don't. We don't. But I, we
0: I've heard a couple of interesting theories. Yeah, so did I. From uh, from women, actually. Who did say you? They think the guy who murdered him, who was about forty, was rejected by the thirty-eight-year-old daughter. And I'm like, well, where is the evidence of that? You know, but they're well, thinking, they're thinking it was a love spat. I'm like, well, wow, where did that come from? You know, that's interesting. I don't know, no idea. But He's it's okay, sad. Okay. And <coughs> it, it, it is sad, especially at the, at the Tokyo American Club here. Uh, he was a member, and he was a. I knew him.
1: He was one of my VPs when I was president yeah? of American and China. I worked with him too. Yes. Um,
0: so going back, go to sorry, go we yeah, I digress. Yes, we did. Uh, I want to go back to well, you asked me what I did after NHK. Right. And I realized as a result of the NHK experience, which was wonderful, I became known as an English teacher. And I'm not an English teacher. I don't want to be known as an English teacher. I've got to re- re- re-change myself. I've got to re-engineer myself. So what do I do with my background of political science, television, media, interest, um, training? I, I applied for a job at a company called Gavin Anderson. Uh, they, were op- they had an opening for the head of media and crisis training. And I thought, oh, this is brilliant. This is exactly what I'll be good at doing. It combines all of my background. There were 60 applicants. I applied and I got it because my resume was the best. And uh, I went in in 2001 and I stayed there for about 14 years mm. uh, doing training all over the world. It was a really wonderful experience. And, and I'm still doing media and crisis training now, but I've been doing it on my own for eight years. And I do it all over the world. Mm-hmm. Uh, I used to, in 2019, I was on 36 international flights for work. And now, because of COVID, thank you, COVID, I can do it on Zoom and Teams. I don't oh have goodness. to get on planes anymore. I used you to you know, come back to Tokyo, go to Hong Kong for a week, come back to Tokyo, go to Singapore for a week, come back to Tokyo, go to you know, Be- Bangalore, doing, India. Doing
1: trainings? Doing, doing media and crisis During training. Did you have a team or anyone no. working with you? you just all on your own. No, I kept costs down. Yeah. <laughs> Most definitely, you did. I don't want miles to feed. Right. Okay. The first
0: five people that work for you, you work for them. That's my that's feeling. True. Right. Yeah, yeah. And a lot of people do it, and they're successful at it. But I just, yeah. I just don't want that level of right, responsibility right. and that stress right. level.
1: Yeah.
0: And and the other thing that's interesting about working on your own is, and my father did the same thing. Right. Is you can grow the way you want to grow, and there's only one of you.
1: That's true.
0: I used to do um, freebies at these these AmCham lunch events you know like the marketing committee would Mm -hmm. have and Mm -hmm. you 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 come in and you do a sample media training and then i started to realize who's in the audience pr agencies bringing their people to copy what i'm doing i stopped doing it learning curve right the first one we did in 2003 we had a company i won't name it that that signed up as a result of being hooked by what we did they loved it we had a hundred thousand dollar contract just from one lunch. Right. Mm. So it, it proved to be sort of beneficial. But there was a detrimental side to it.
1: The fact that they were trying to take what you were doing. Yeah. And in to my, duplicate w- it.
0: In my mm. world, you always got to worry about that. You know, people taking your materials. Right. I, I trained in Korea once. I couldn't believe it. Um, a couple of things about the Koreans are different uh, than the Japanese. I, I set up a negotiation with Team A and Team B. And then I left the room to use the bathroom. I came back and they made Team C. They They like totally changed the scenario of what I was how trying how to do. How could they do that? They just did it on their own. And another incident was, and it's, it's just really interesting, right? I'm not complaining, I'm observing. Yeah. And the other thing that happened is that the head of HR for that company had lunch with another head of HR for another company and gave them my materials. You know, this is the world that we live in. People steal materials especially when it's online, you can't control it. But what you can control in the world that I'm in is you can control what you do and how you do it. That's right. It can't replicate me. That's right. It can't replicate you and what you're doing. That's the thing. That's what gives
1: me solace. That's what gives me solace because people are trying to do that. They're trying to. And I'm saying... You can't. There's no way because they don't know me and they don't know know you. That's right. And they have to have the drive. They're just... And it's all greed, basically, I Mm. think. That's what drives it. The greed—they see the the dollar or the yen signs. Okay. That's what they start thinking about, and I'm saying yeah. that's such a poor way to look at it. Yeah. It's so poor. Well, hungry people look for food, but they're you know? not really a hungry. They're just being greedy. Yeah. They have plenty of food. Yeah. We live in a world, as I said before, of abundance. That's right. Speaking <laughs> of which,
0: you probably would agree with me because you've spent your life here. This is a land of opportunity, more than the United States. <laughs> no, no, it's, it's like I say, this is a great journey. So I always grow when I'm in Japan. You so, know?
1: so you now you're doing most of your work now online. Most of my work is
0: online, and most of my work is outside Japan.
1: And I have, you, I have you
0: contracts, you know, in the Philippines, contracts in Canada, um, contracts in Singapore, uh, contracts
1: in India. So, how much do you work a month? Let's say if you're working one month, how much time yeah, do you have so, to see in so when I was fifty-three, I decided it. Uh, Here's a story about why why I decided to go part-time. I
0: was 53 and I was at the peak of my career with all of the efforts I'd made on my own. And I had 29 days straight of bookings, right? And I was leaving the house at 6 a.m. and coming back at 9 p.m., taking a shower and going to bed. And I did that 29 days, including weekends uh, in a row. And I said, I can't I can't do this anymore. And on top of it, um, I had just come back the month earlier from three weeks in Singapore And I came back to my house, and there was a spider web on the front door. I said, "Something's wrong with this picture." And I decided to do a life change. So I've been doing part-time work um, for for close to ten years now, right? Um, I I think we all, hopefully, at our age, we reach a point where it's not about saving money; it's about making enough money not to spend it all before you reach the finish line, right? right, And that's what I'm trying to do. And I think. but COVID has 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 really frightened a lot of people financially, because infl- combined with inflation, uh, it's not easy to retire from those people now. And mm-hmm. I look at my father who worked until 84 because he loved it, right. but he also loved getting the money. Mm-hmm. And, and I think we're all going to keep working, par- yeah. partly keep our brain alive. I was going to say also so. We have a lot to give back. You know, um, it's time to give back when you're our age. Right. What have you learned? How can you help people? And I do a lot of volunteer work through media. Training, like um, tell the the support group. He's a good guy.
1: He's a good guy. I've had him on.
0: I'm I'm um, I'm I'm doing some some pro bono work for them because mm-hmm. I believe in what they're doing, mm-hmm. right? And uh, yeah, give back. That's neat. Yeah.
1: David, a question I like to ask people before I end the podcast. Sure. And I'm going to have you on several times. I can tell that already. Yes, you're kind. <laughs> no, I will. If you could go back in time, mm. when would you go back? If you can g- give yourself advice and Hmm. give you some advice. In my lifetime? In your lifetime. Because can we go to another lifetime? No, it'd have to be in your lifetime. And you can't be in the future, it has to be in the past. Okay. What advice would you give yourself, and how would you be at the time when you did it? So, it comes back to my feeling. um, I haven't regretted
0: that my parents didn't give me more guidance as a child, but I would go back to the late teens, and make sure that I had more mature influence in my life on how to think about where I was steering myself and what I could do. It wasn't a mistake what I did, but I think there's a real advantage to getting um, wisdom from people who have more experience than you. Uh, and I think most young people don't want that. because, like, well, I know everything. You know, I'm 21, I can make it on my own. But it, looking back, that, that's something I think would have been advantageous. Not that I should have been a doctor or a lawyer, but I, 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 the self-experimentation is a limited window. Uh, when you're in university you got to come out of university and make a living. And you know studying political science was fine. I followed my passion, I followed my interest, but did it pay the bills? And the answer was no. And the same thing with my mother. She studied intellectual history, got a PhD at age 55, which was part of her problem. She couldn't get a job. Hmm. So it's really important to be you know, follow your passion, but also be functional and practical about where you're going. And I think it's hard now. Your kids, I don't know how old they are, they're probably in their 20s. No, they're in their 30s. 30s so they They're already well along in their career. Mm-hmm. But you know, coming out of high school and college now, everyone wants to be a coder. Well, not everyone's going to be a coder, and technology's going to take that away anyway. So, you know, how do we look into the future about where the world's going to be? What skill set do we need that's transferable no matter what? think that's important.
1: That is so true. Couldn't end on a better note. David, thank you so much. It was really good meeting you. Thank you so much. Thanks for having me. All of you watching this podcast, remember, it's all on loan, so continue to reach for the stars, because you're too blessed to be stressed.